you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We will be here very briefly, and then we will go to Isaiah, chapter 55. And that's where we will spend the bulk of our time this morning. Matthew, chapter 5. And if you've been paying attention for the last few weeks, you'll know what verse we're on. Verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, it is no accident that Jesus followed up verse 5, where he said, Blessed are the meek. As we discussed last week, that's precisely how he described his own heart in Matthew chapter 11 when he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, the Greek word praes, the same Greek word as meek, the same meaning. It's just translated differently here for context. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He said, The meek shall inherit the earth in verse Five, and of, of course they will. Why wouldn't they? Because they have the heart of Christ, Amen. right? So it's no accident then that Jesus would follow that up, verse 5, with blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's almost as if he says in verse 5, okay, guys, here's my heart. This is my heart. Blessed are those who are meek. Now, that's where you need to be. And then in verse 6, he says, now here's how you're going to pursue it. This is how you need to get there. And then in the next few verses following, he gives us some, some benchmarks for you to know how, if you have satisfied yourself with the right things. Or are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? The other, other beatitudes. And we'll, we'll get to each of those in the weeks that are coming but certainly, those are benchmarks, those are hallmark traits of someone who pursues righteousness, wouldn't you say? If you pursue righteousness, you're, you're certainly a merciful person. If you pursue righteousness, you're, you're certainly a, a pure in heart person. You have, you have honesty, you're pure in your heart and in your thoughts. If you pursue righteousness, certainly you are, you are a peacemaker. You don't stir up trouble everywhere that you go. Someone who, as Jesus puts it, is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's interesting language that he uses there, isn't it? To hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst. Now, he could have simply said, blessed are those who pursue righteousness, couldn't he? Blessed are those who follow after righteousness. Blessed are those who chase it. Blessed are those who seek it. That's what he said later on in chapter 6, 33, didn't he? When he said, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's the same sermon. Amen. He's still preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek righteousness, look for it. But here in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, when he's first starting out, giving us the calling card for the Christian in the Beatitudes, he said that we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. So words are important. And certainly, uh, Jesus chooses his words carefully. In fact, Jesus said that he does not speak apart from the Father. That's John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. I don't say it unless the Father tells me to say it. So the fact that Jesus said, 
hunger and thirst here is important. Now, don't get me wrong. The fact that Jesus says anything is important. I mean, if Jesus said it, it's important. But of the things that Jesus said, him saying here, hunger and thirst, that is of double importance, I suppose. I mean, that, we're going to elevate that in importance because it's odd. It stands out. We've got to remember who's speaking. This is Jesus talking. This is the soon incoming king, right? He's the promised Messiah. He's the root of Jesse. This is the, the son of the living God. All of the scriptures, from, from all of the law and all of the prophets, from Genesis all the way up to Malachi, all the scriptures as they know it, they have all been about Jesus. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and he met with Cleopas and Cleopas' friend, he said, don't, don't you know what this has all been about? And Jesus in the Bible says that beginning with the law and the prophets, he unfolded in the scriptures who he was. So all of it has been about him. And now this is Jesus. He's standing in front of them. He is the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for for generations and generations. And very few of them actually realize the fullness of who he is. There he is standing right there in front of them, and very few of them actually realize this is the guy. That's the one. Most of them, they'll see a man. They see a great man for sure. This is a great teacher even. They may even see a prophet, a great prophet, a prophet of God. But the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed. And then, of course, we have to consider the one that he's speaking to, the crowd. We have to consider the people in the crowd. Remember, these are poor these are the outcasts. These are the broken down and downtrodden. These are the truly hungry and truly thirsty. Amen. Amen. I mean, when they think of hunger, they're hungering for bread. They hunger for food that they can put in their bellies and be full. They thirst for clean water and fresh wine to drink that can quench their thirst. And yet, in not so many words, Jesus says to them, You're hungry. I see that. You're thirsty. I see that. But you want to eat, and you want to drink, and you want to eat and drink so bad. I see that. Your body needs it. You're weak. And you're sick without it. And you get to a point where you're starving and you'll almost do anything just, just to satisfy your hunger and your thirst. And I see that and I get it. But do this instead. Hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be satisfied. How that must have rang in their ears when they heard that. These guys know real hunger. Amen. And they know real thirst. They know what it is to crave out of necessity. Oh, we crave chocolate. We'll, we'll get a craving for sweets. I do that. We have a, have a sweet treat craving at night. You know, usually it's at night. 
sitting there, and I, I crave a sweet treat. I'm feeling kind of snacky. Anyone feel kind of snacky? This isn't that kind of a craving. Not what they're feeling. They crave a hunger out of necessity. And Jesus says to do that, have that kind of a crave. I don't know that we get it. And I don't know that I have the words to try to explain it. I don't know that words can do it. This is something that the Holy Spirit is going to have to work through me through the foolishness of preaching to rest upon you and do that miracle to where you will just get it. To crave like they craved out of necessity something as nebulous as righteousness. The way that we crave something as tangible as food. How that must have rang in their ears. Jesus says, do that. Crave that way for righteousness. And when he says that, once again, he's calling them back to something that they would have been very familiar with, something they would have known and grown up with as children. The prophet Isaiah would have been very familiar with them, would have been a very familiar text to them uh, growing up. They would have learned it as children. It it was... uh, Josephus said that land was important to them, but children were more important. Education was more important. So inasmuch as they cultivated the land, they prided themselves much more on educating their children. They, They took their children at the age of five and began teaching them the law. And their only textbook was the Bible, or the Bible as as they knew it, which was the law and the prophets. Genesis through Malachi. And they would memorize it. Isaiah would have been chief among what they learned. So when Jesus says this, blessed are the meek, I mean, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It would have drawn their attention right back to where we're about to go. The prophet Isaiah was a very familiar text to them. If you'll turn to Isaiah 55, in mentioning this hungering and thirsting and being satisfied, he's calling them to this ancient text. He's accomplishing two different things simultaneously by doing this. Number one, he is reinforcing the case that he is in fact the Christ, the Son of the living God. And number two, he is reopening a divine invitation to the kingdom of God. An invitation that had been for centuries closed by the the same people that were the stewards of the kingdom. The ones, the religious leaders and the Pharisees that had shut the doors of the kingdom. The ones that he condemned. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Did you ever notice that this is the only beatitude that addresses desire? Of all the ones listed, this is the only one that addresses desire. It's an invitation. And we will see that God is never to be outdone. It's not just any invitation. It's a divine invitation. And He stands stands as the invitation. Jesus is Himself the invitation. We come to Isaiah Chapter 55, after some wonderful and glorious prophecies about the coming Christ in chapter 53. So in Isaiah 53, uh, 
Israel is able to celebrate the removal of their iniquity, the forgiveness of their guilt. In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, you familiar with this passage, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So the nation celebrates the removal of their iniquity in chapter 53. Chapter 54, God displays his love toward them in an eternal covenant of peace. In 54 verse 10, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So in chapter 54, they celebrate God's eternal covenant of love. And then we come to chapter 55, and in the first verses of chapter 55, God issues a divine invitation. And he says, come, verse 1, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Now David, of course, is the representative of all of the house of Israel. So let's let's try to put ourselves in the audience as Jesus is preaching. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I wonder if you hear the same message here in Isaiah. You are blessed if you eat that which is good and rich and make your soul live. Not the bread that doesn't satisfy. Why spend your money on that? Do you think they would have remembered that message in Isaiah? As Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, those guys, will be satisfied. It's an invitation. Anytime invitations are sent out for an event, you want to make sure that you have got one before you go. You don't want to just show up to the event, otherwise you might be turned away at the door. You want to make sure that you're answering the right invitation also. You don't want to go to the wrong event with the wrong invitation. One time my wife and I and my family actually, we had tickets to a show in Denver. And we showed up on the wrong day. They didn't just let us go in. We had to come back the next day. We went to the right event with the wrong invitation. You want to make sure you have the right invitation. There are all kinds of philosophies and strategies and programs that are vying for your attention. Did you know that? 
They want your attention, which means they want your attendance. Do you see that? They want you to attend to them. You've been invited to drink at all sorts of wells. You've been invited to dine at all sorts of tables and to dance in all sorts of parties. What invitation will you answer? Do you see in verse 1 that everyone is invited? Verse 1 of chapter 53. Come, everyone who thirsts. Does not everyone thirst? Everyone thirsts for something, right? Jesus or the Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts. So an invitation has been sent. Jesus even told a parable to this effect in Matthew chapter 22. I won't have you turn there, I'll just paraphrase it. The parable of the wedding banquet. There was a king who was throwing a great wedding feast, and he issued invitations to many guests to come to the wedding. And presumably, this was to the nobles and the the rich landowners that he invited to the wedding banquet. But guess what? They didn't pay any attention to the invitation. So the, the, the king sent out his his servants. And he said, well, go tell these guys that the feast is ready. The banquet is prepared. I've, 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 I've killed the fatted calf. I've roasted the lamb. Everything is ready. Tell them to come. And so they went, and the, the invitees were rude. They mistreated his servants. They even killed some of them. I don't know why they would do that, but that's what they did. What horrible way to treat someone inviting you to a wedding. Of course, The king was very upset, and he sent his army and destroyed the cities of these noblemen whom he had invited. And the king said, well, we're not going to have a wedding without guests. So he sent his servants out, and he said, go to the main roads and invite as many as you can on the main roads. And so that's what they did. They went to the main roads, just inviting whoever they could find. And then later, the king was at the wedding and he was observing the guests and he saw one guest at the wedding who did not have a wedding garment. And he said, how is it that you are here without a wedding garment? And the guest just looked at him, blank-faced and speechless. The king had him cast out into outer darkness, the scripture says. That guest was there, oddly enough, without an invitation. Even though the servants went out and invited everyone they could find. Now, how do I know this? Because the servants went out to the main roads, These weren't the noblemen. These weren't the rich landowners. These weren't the the priestly people, the wealthy people. These were the main roads. And the king is generous enough that had he not had a wedding garment, he would have provided him one had he had an invitation. This man just followed the crowd. He was there and couldn't answer why he was there. How is it that you are here? And he was speechless. He couldn't say, I was invited. He was just there 
because he was following the crowds. The other guests were all there from the main road. The other guests all had wedding garments. They all had invitations. We can see the parallel in the invitation in Isaiah. He who has no money, come. Do you see that in the latter part of verse 1? Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. How do you buy without money except that it is given to you? Offered freely as a gift just for showing up. You came to the table. Now eat your fill and be satisfied. Well, that reminds me of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's a lot that can be said about this parable of the wedding feast, but I will just say this for our purposes today. There are a lot of invitations out there fighting for your attention, for your devotion, your pursuit, your desire, for your hunger and your thirst. And just like this wedding guest, he showed up to a party and he couldn't even answer why he was there. Everyone else came because they received an invitation. He came because he was following a crowd. Just because the doors are open and you're in the room, it doesn't mean that you know why you're here. There is an open invitation to you from the God of all ages who will satisfy the hunger of your soul, the very hunger of your soul. That's what Jesus is saying to the crowd, and that's what he's saying to us today. When he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. It's an invitation. Look at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? You toil and you spend and it produces no satisfaction. You chase after what is perishable and try to find worth in that. And don't we? Oh, don't we? Obviously, the Lord is not telling us not to eat and drink. I mean, we have to do that. (laughs) We have to eat and drink. He's using figurative language. The point is a timeless one, though. Materialism and finding our value and placing our hope in things of this world is a fool's game. Everything that is made will fail. Mountains will crumble. Oceans will dry up, trees will wither, wealth will falter, health will fail. But Christ, our sure and solid hope, our righteousness, our resurrection, and our life will never fail. This is not about food. This is about desire. It's about pursuit. It's about the joy and treasure of our heart. That's why Jesus says hunger and thirst, not eat and drink. Continuing in verse 2, in Isaiah, he says, Listen to me. Listen diligently to me. Listen diligently, he says. It's not enough just to say listen, but do it diligently. That means to listen with painstaking effort. Listen hard to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Take joy in what is good, in the rich food of the Lord. Again, this is not about eating food. This is about desire. 
This comes right on the heels of that admonition against spending our time and our money pursuing things that don't satisfy. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? You think it's bread, but it's not bread. It's not actually bread. That job that's taking you away from your family, away from your church, away from your God. Oh, it may put um, food on the table. It may pay the bills. But the way you're doing it, guess what? It's not bread. You're putting everything you've got into it. And you should be putting everything you've got into me. That deer lease that keeps you away for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end, it may put a deer in the freezer, but it's not bread, not the way you're doing it. Ouch. It leaves your house unshepherded, leaves your wife to be a single mother. There's no watchman at the gate, but there's a deer in the freezer. What cost? I'm not against hunting at all, but why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Some of you stay so busy at being busy, you can't manage time for what is righteous. We'll whine about how little time we have for God, but we'll consume an entire season of some show on Netflix in a weekend. And none of that satisfies. None of that fulfills. Not the job, not the, not really. Not the hunting, not fully. And certainly not the busy life and not the binge of TV shows. Jesus said there is one thing that can satisfy. And what did he say that was? Righteousness. Right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But what does that mean? What does it mean to pursue righteousness? Now, certainly, there are elements of doing good. There are, we, you know, we do good deeds. We do good works. Jesus or James said that faith without works is dead. Jesus said that we are to let our light shine before men so that they would see our good works and glorify God. Paul told Timothy that he should flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So we know that pursuing righteousness is at least in part turning away from youthful passions. So the fruit of righteousness at least uh, does manifest itself in in righteous works and doing good deeds, but but that's the fruit. You can't have fruit until you get to the root. You've got to have root before you can produce fruit. What is the root of righteousness? We can't chase the fruit. We can't chase the works without the root. We can't chase things like women's rights without the root, because when we do that, we get Planned Parenthood. We can't chase things like racial reconciliation without the root, because when we do that, we get things like critical race theory. We can't chase things like as pure and holy as forgiveness without the root, because when we do that, we get things like no responsibility, no accountability. If you haven't guessed it by now, the root is Christ. 
Look at verse 3 in Isaiah. He says, incline your ear and come to me. Come where? To me. Come to me and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Because if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you'll be satisfied. Come to me, and I will make you an everlasting covenant. If you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you believe in me, you'll never thirst. But the connection is even deeper than that. Back in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, he invites us to come where? He says, come to the waters. Right? Come to the waters. And now in verse 3, he says, come to me. Well, what is the waters? The waters is me. The waters is God. Many of you are familiar with the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. This woman is talking about the water in the well, but Jesus is talking about the water of life. In John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the water in the well, this natural water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water, the water that I give, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He's connecting the threads. I am the Christ. John chapter 7, Jesus makes a remarkable statement in the middle of a crowd. He's connecting more and more of the threads. John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Back in verse 3 of Isaiah, he says, Hear that your soul may live. Now this is for all of the figurative language of the first two verses that have gone before kind of comes to a head. All of that figurative language gets boiled down right here. We're not talking figuratively anymore. It gets pushed aside and we get to the reality of what's being offered. It's beautiful, flowery language. And it's meant to get us to envision and capture and celebrate what this invitation holds. But now he gets to the nitty-gritty. This is the real consequence, the real terms. We're not talking about food and drink anymore. We're talking about life and death and eternity. But look at his plea. Hear that your soul may live. He didn't say hear so that you don't perish. Or listen so that you can escape certain judgment. He said, hear so that your soul may live. I offer you life. Life. Jesus said, I come that you may have life. Not just life, but that you might have it more abundantly. 
I don't want to, I just don't want you to survive. I want you to thrive. And I'm not talking prosperity gospel. You know how much I hate that mess. We look at God in the Old Testament and so often we see only His wrath and His judgment because we fail to see Christ standing there. Do you see Him standing there? He's standing right here. Right here in Isaiah 55. Just like He's standing in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. Oh, that's so clear. We, we get worked up about that one. Oh, he's right there. We can see him. Do you see him right here? Come to the waters, you who have no money. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Don't spend your money on that which is not bread and work. For that which does not satisfy, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Come to me and live. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Amen. One last thing and then I'll be done. When Paul was closing out his apocalypse, the, the visions that he had with the end of all things, and the new beginning, the new heaven and the new earth, he was led by the Holy Spirit to echo this invitation. Book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 17. He said, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price from beginning to middle to end this is the divine invitation that Christ throws wide open in the sermon on the mount when he says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied that is the final satisfaction Amen. that John gives us in Revelation. Come to the one who thirsts. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And we will drink and be satisfied forever. Amen. Lay down your pursuits, the things that aren't bred, your labors for the things that don't satisfy. Come to the water and drink. Amen. And that's not a come to Jesus, get saved message. I don't, I don't see the Sunday morning gathering as an evangelical outreach. This is a gathering of the saints. Amen. Amen. I assume for the most part that I am speaking to people who already know Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I'm not preaching salvation. Amen. I am preaching sanctification. Yes. So I am preaching come to him always. Amen. Amen. Not come to him first. We, I'm, I'm assuming you've already done that. 
I am preaching, come to him continually. Make him first. Pursue him first. Seek first. There's a reason he included that later. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness always. And be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or let me rephrase it, and then I'll be done. Blessed are those who desire to be like Christ. Amen. Amen. I love you. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I love you. I love you for so many things. But right now, I'm ecstatic about your word. It amazes me, the thread that you have woven, the tapestry you have woven, and when you reveal yourself in it, I'm just overwhelmed. God, I pray that, that you show yourself to us in this. I pray that you light upon our hearts and that you give us the grace. Yes. Give us the hunger and thirst, the craving of necessity for righteousness, for you. Let us seek you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.